For those of you who uh, may be just joining us into maybe a couple weeks, we're doing a sermon series called Straight Out of Context. Now, why are we doing this sermon series? Is it because we think we've cornered the market on what Scripture is? No, it's not because we think, you know, we're arrogant and we're the only ones who understand what Scripture is saying and you can only, like, get truth here. That's not why we're doing what we're doing. We want to be able to proclaim the truth of what Scripture says because we live in a time and an era where there is so much information available to us, right, on this little thing. You can get any, you want to know anything in the world, it'll take you five seconds to figure it out right here. Yet, we have all this information, yet we are probably in history, the church is, is in a time of one of the most biblically illiterate times. We have all this, you could look at any book, you could download it in the moment, and yet we, we just, I think we're, we're so used to that comfort of that, is that it's, it's sometimes it's easy not to actually pursue it. And why are we doing this, this uh, sermon called Straight Out of Context is because often what we found in the church, the church will quote scripture. The church will say these passages, but it's a lot of the time it's in isolation and it isn't the truth of what it is meant to bear on us as a people who call ourselves Christians. And so what we do is we take these passages, we isolate them, and we take them out of context, and we, like Aniga Mentoya, we say, you keep saying that word. I don't think it means what you think it means, right? You keep saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't think that means what you think it means. And um, so we've looked at Philippians 4.13, we looked at uh, Matthew 7, chapter 1, last week Isaiah rocked it, good job brother. Um, we looked at uh, Jeremiah 29.11, some of your favorite verses, some of you have gone to the dermatologist now and tried to get that removed off of your tattoos. And this morning we're going to continue it, we're going to look at a, a famous passage, it's John 14.14, 14. anybody know what that says? If you don't. It's up on the screen here. It says this. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Right? We could just go home. Um, who, who is saying this? This is Jesus saying this to his disciples. Now, if we read this in isolation, we are, this is awesome. <laughs> okay? I mean, Santa Claus got nothing on Jesus. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So I don't know about you, but like if, if you've grown up in the church, if you've grown up praying for your meal, like after, you know, you, your, your family gathers together, or you're at a restaurant or wherever, and you get, to, you get together and you pray for the meal, Lord Jesus, thank you for this food, bless it into our body. And then what do you say at the end of your prayer? In, well, okay. You say, Come on, Lorelai. <laughs> You say in Jesus' name, amen. It, it, would, it almost feels wrong not to say in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer. It almost feels like sacrilegious, right? Or it almost feels somehow like if I don't say these, this phrase, somehow God's not going to hear everything I just said before that. And in order for me to ensure that, that God will hear these words that I just uttered, I, I need to include the phrase, in Jesus' name. And then we have to say amen, right? Even if we don't all amen it, which just means so let it be, right? Uh, so we, we have to add this. It's, it's almost like when somebody sneezes, even in public if somebody sneezes, and you don't know them in a stranger, what do you say? Say, God bless you. 
It would seem rude, like a crazy person doesn't say God bless you, right? It's only monsters who don't say God bless you. If somebody sneezes and you just sit there, I mean, you are the rudest person in the world, right? Because it's just, it's something that we do. It's, it's just natural. And if you've grown in the church and you pray, if you pray together, you always say, in Jesus' name, amen. So why do we... Why has there become a culture in the church? Why is it something that we say over and over again and doesn't mean what we think it means? So that's what we're going to look at today in John chapter 14. Let's understand this scripture in context, all right? So here's, here's what happens. I'm going to give us a couple things. that You know, here, here's what we're going to do today. Today, for some of us, this might be like really cool because we're going to do a little bit of a, a Bible study, all right? That's all we're going to do. And uh, so what I'm trying to help us do is when you're reading scripture, how should we approach scripture? Uh, we've gone over this uh, a couple times through this sermon series, give us five points on how we do that. You know, we approach humbly, we, we do the work to figure out what's going on in the text, we, we exegete the text, we don't eisegete, which means we let the text uh, read to us instead of us reading into the text. Uh, we, we apply it to our lives, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We do all these things. And so what I want us to learn as we look at this, this verse here is how are some helpful things that we can do to actually get the, the context, get the meaning, so that we all arrive at the right conclusion, what Scripture is wanting us to do, okay? So a couple things what I want us to see first is if we just isolate this text, if we just leave it here at John 14, 14 only, these are some of the dangers that we get. I don't know if I put these up on here. I think they are. Okay, there it is. When we read in isolation, number one is we go to a formula instead of going to God. Jesus said in John 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it for you. Hallelujah. So that is, must be a formula that when we are praying, we should always say, if we want something and if we want anything, we have to say in the name of Jesus in order to get it. Number two, the other problem that we get is when we use this verse in isolation is we turn God into a genie. Uh, you know, we, we said, okay, you said anything, God, it says it right here in Scripture, and, and God, I'm going to hold you, somehow as if we could do this, right? I'm going to hold you accountable to your word. You said it right here in John 14, 14. Uh, if I ask of anything in your name, you will do it. It's like Santa Claus. I've been good all year. You look at my track record, Santa. I have been nice, not naughty, so I know that I should expect X amount of presence under the tree. And we do the same thing to God. We say, God, you said this. I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl. You said if I say it in your name, you will do it. So I'm holding you accountable to what you said, God, as if somehow we can hold God accountable. We turn God into a genie. And then the last thing, the last dangerous thing that we do is this is probably the most dangerous, is that we build a theology around one verse in isolation. The church is so guilty of doing this, building a theology around it. And this is why it's so important that we keep verses in the context. Um, so somehow we, we say, okay, if I add in the name of Jesus, you know, you know what this really does? It, it turns our faith into a religion. It turns it into a somehow like uh, superstitions. 
It turns it into, if I do this, then this will happen because I'm in this religion. This is the way this religion works. And so therefore, my theology says that if I do this, this will happen because I've said this, et cetera, et cetera. And so what we end up finding ourselves is, if this is true and we understand our theology, this, we just try to say it with more gusto. If it's not happening, then it must be because I am not earnest enough in, in my saying, right? It's like, um, it's like using the force. Luke in Empire, Strike Back, in Empire Strikes Back, he's, he's hung upside down. Uh, the Wampa, is that the name of the, the ice creature? He's got him, right? All right, I'm checking my Star Wars nerds here. And he is hung upside down, his feet are frozen, and all of a sudden he comes to, out of his stupor, and he sees his lightsaber laying in the snow, too far to reach, and what does he do? He first tries, he, he, he like thinks, meditates, right? And then he like tries to grab it, and it's just barely moving. And apparently, the problem is that Luke just doesn't have enough faith in that moment. He doesn't have enough, like, centeredness. He doesn't have enough earnestness and gusto. And all of a sudden, he finds it within himself. He just calms himself, right? And then I think, I don't remember, but maybe Obi-Wan's voice comes and like, Luke. No? Okay. Well, let's just pretend that happened, because that'll be better. And all of a sudden... The lightsaber's getting looser and looser. Flies in his hand, zoom, and he takes out the wampa, and he gets these free now. Why? Because Luke was faithful. Luke believed enough that he could grab that lightsaber. I remember doing that as a kid. Be sitting in my room, trying to, like, close my door, and then the gust of wind would, like, blow. I'm like, oh, I have the force, right? We, the problem is we apply the same kind of thinking to the way that we, when we pray to God, it's like, God, I believe, I believe. What's the, one of my favorite movies, The Prince of Egypt. There's a song in there that is so incorrect for our theology. There can be miracles when you believe. Really? It's a great song, but it's a song from hell. <laughs> the theology's wrong. It's Disney theology, even though that's not a Disney movie. I remember one time we were in Mexico. Here, here's an example of what I mean by this. If we just say this enough, something powerful will happen. We were on a, we were on a trip with my high school, and we would go down and minister to the Oaxacan Indian village. Um, and every year we would camp. We'd, I mean, it was hard work. You, you're kind of out of your element. And I remember we were having a quite a passionate evening of worship and you know, people were getting saved, and all of a sudden, one of the girls in our high school started, listen, I'm not trying to, like, point a theology here, but she started manifesting. That's the only way I can express it, is uh, she was, it seemed to be that she was demonized. And I'm telling you, nobody knew what to do. Everyone's freaking out, right? The teachers, everybody. And so they, they were so uh, so freaked out that they had this girl, they were pinning her down, screaming in her face, foaming at the mouth, in the name of Jesus, come out, right? And, and she was just laughing at people, cursing at them. And then one of the girls in the high school, this girl who loved Jesus, she just comes up and just says, hey, everybody, let's calm down a second. And she takes this girl, she brings her into the, the bus that we had chartered, and just starts praying over her and just praying the peace of Jesus, and just speaking with a gentle tone, in the name of Jesus, I speak peace over this girl. What ends up happening? 
peace comes over this girl. She's delivered. She's set free. All this junk about her past is coming out. God's healing her in a moment. And sometimes we think the phrase, in the name of Jesus, has power in itself. Like it's a magic spell that if I say this enough, something magical will happen. And that's not what the Bible's teaching us here. But when we pick it in isolation, we come to that conclusion. And we end up screaming at somebody in the name of Jesus. Nothing happens. I know I've prayed for stuff in the name of Jesus. I know you have too, with earnest passion in my heart. And God probably saw the sincerity, but it didn't happen on my merit. Why is that? So here's what we have to do. We have to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus, okay? You guys okay? You guys, all right, all right. So we're gonna do this. We're gonna look at three ways. We're gonna look at the immediate passage, then we're gonna look at the broader passage, and then we're gonna look at the whole Bible, okay? It sounds like it's gonna take a lot of time, but I promise it's not, okay? We're gonna do it. You guys, I believe in me, so you believe in me, okay? So let's do this. Let's start off right at the back. Let's look at the immediate context of this passage. So to do that, let's go back to John 14, verse 12, and then we'll read all the way to 15. This is what Jesus, now remember, he's, he's, uh, he's speaking with his disciples, and he's comforting them. He's, reminding, he's about to go to the cross, all this good stuff. John 14, 12 through 15 says this, Truly, truly, or verily, verily, if you have the King James, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. I don't want to get into that verse. That's a whole other rabbit trail. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So right off the, right, right of the way, right, right off the bat, we see that not in isolation, we see that this verse actually has, dare I say, some conditions. There's context to us when we pray in the name of Jesus. Uh, for one of those conditions is he says, Whoever believes in me. Now, we could try to say, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe, like, I, and, and, and this, this understanding of belief, what, what Jesus is saying here, it's not just this cognate uh, um, agreement in our intellect that Jesus exists or that he existed. To believe in Jesus means to put our hope, to put our faith, to put our trust, put all of who we are into Christ. And that has implications, right? So when Jesus says, whoever believes in me, it's not just like whoever agrees that I'm here, that I existed, that I, you know, you may be even the son of God. It's not even that. It's more than that. It is whoever puts all of who they are into me. It's whoever surrenders all of who you are, your thoughts, your emotions, your will, your actions, all of who you are, whoever believes in me. That's, a, that's one of the conditions that we see here. Number two, we see it says, greater works than these will he do. And I want to just point out here that Jesus is saying, are we willing to do the work of him? How does that, how does that go back to a condition of this scripture? Well, Jesus is saying, when you're praying, ask these things, greater works, the works of me, are we willing to subject ourselves to the works of Christ in prayer, or are we wanting to make it about us and be our own work? 
And Jesus is, is saying, listen, it's about the works that I'm going to give you. And it's greater, and we can get into that later. And then number three, he says, if you love me. And love, we know, is not just an emotion. It's not just about how we're feeling about Jesus. It's a willingness to obey, to be subject to him, to say yes when he calls us to do hard things, to say no when he says, I want you to say no to these things that you love so much because it's better for you. All right, you guys okay? Okay. I know it's kind of like homework stuff, but... So number one, we, we look at the immediate context, and let, let's look at a little bit of a broader context of John. Let's, let's jump ahead even more. Let's go to John chapter 15. It says this in verses 7 through 8. It says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Does that help us understand this a little bit more there? See, there's even more context. This is not a separate thought from John chapter 14, verse 14. This is a continuing thought of John chapter 14, verse 14. And Jesus is still speaking about prayer and asking. And we get to the famous chapter in John chapter 15 where Jesus talks about abiding in him. Where he is the vine, we are the branches. Abide in him, abide, abide. If you abide in me, if you abide in me. And then Jesus continues his thought about prayer and he, and he says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask anything. Now what does it mean to abide in Jesus? For those of us who call ourselves Christians, who call ourselves disciples, that means we are continuing to place ourselves in Christ. When our hearts, what's that song? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. When that, when that truth starts to rise up in our heart, what do we do? We say, Lord, I choose to abide in you, in your grace, in your ways, in your will, instead of my own. Not so that when I ask, I can get whatever I want, right? It's this understanding of like, when I abide in you, there is, we were just talking about this morning, there is freedom there is real freedom. There is real freedom to be found when I abide in Christ. Not to, and when I abide in you, I can let go of my religion, I can let go of my idols, and I can hold on to what you're calling me to. And the beautiful thing is when we abide, when we love, when we obey, it starts to transform our hearts. So the asking starts to change. You ever notice that? The asking starts to change. You ever, you ever hang around somebody you didn't really understand and, and uh, you kind of thought they were this way about this and so you thought, I have to approach this person this way because this is what I observe on the outside. But the more and more you spend time with this person, the more and more that you get to know this person, you start to see, wow, I actually, they, they, they're soft and they're loving and they're kind and, and when I ask, they... I'm going to start to get their heart for asking. And, and I don't need to manipulate anymore. I don't need to think I have to, like, it's like when you're with your parents, right? My kids will be like, okay, I need to, like, grease them up a little bit. I need to, like, <laughs> tell them all these good things. Hey, Dad, you know, all this stuff. Man, my heart is to want to bless my kids. And when my kids ask according to my will, I usually say yes. And I'm, infall I'm fallible. I'm, I'm messed up. I'm finite. 
But when we go to God and we know his will, I, I found this. This is jumping ahead in my notes, but I just feel like this is something that we need to understand. I heard a, a preacher say, he goes, the older I've got, the more God says yes to my prayers. <laughs> you hear that and you go, that must mean because, like, you're a, become a better person. And... Um, God must look down on you and like favor all your years that you have been pastoring. And so he's just like becoming buddy-buddy with you. No. And he qualifies his statement saying, because the older I uh, grow in my faith, the more I start to understand the will of God. And my prayers have changed instead of God bless me and fill me and fill my bank account and all this kind of stuff. And, he, and I start to pray outward and I start to pray more the will of God. And when I start to pray the will of God, God is more inclined to say yes to his will. Right? My kids come to me, Dad, I really want to go to this rager and I don't know. That's not something they're going to ask. What am I going to say as a good dad? I'm going to say no. And, my, and then my kids can say, Dad, can I clean my room? I'm going to say yes. <laughs> Number three, let's, let's look at some more scripture to help us. Let's get a biblical theology about asking God and where our heart lies and abiding in Christ and what that looks like. Psalm 66 verse 18 says this. If I had cherished iniquity or sin in my heart, if, if I desire sin, if, ooh, ooh, that, that's good, I'm going to give into that, the Lord would not have listened. Now, this is not like do this and God will do this kind of Christianity that we're teaching. But there is a reality <laughs> that when our hearts are far from God and we desire the things that are not the will of God, he tends to go, uh-uh. That's, that's not good. I'm not listening to that. We can continue it further. First John 3, verse 21 and 22 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, if we have confidence uh, before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Here's one for you husbands, 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, that weaker vessel doesn't mean that women are less important or um, have less value or weaker in intellect. It just means weaker in usual physical strength, right? If I arm wrestle my wife, I'm probably going to win. <laughs> I said probably because my shoulder's all messed up. In general, women are weaker in physical, right? Um, but it says this, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that what? Your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, are you a jerk to your wife? And then you go and pray, and God's like... <laughs> but you know what? This isn't just for husbands. This is for wives too. So for people, don't, okay. And then I love this one. This is just flies in the face of us thinking somehow that in the phrase, in the name of Jesus, is a magical incantation. 
And it's this, Acts 19, 13 through 16. Some of you guys know where this is going. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, look it, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Basically, in Jesus' name. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered him, just straight up like, what's up? Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? (laughs) And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house, what? Naked and wounded. Here these guys are thinking, so like what so many of us do in our everyday life and prayer, if I say in the name of Jesus enough and with enough passion and enough gusto and with enough sincerity, this will happen. What ends up happening? I don't know you. Boom. I don't understand how in a moment they were naked. I don't know, I don't know how that happened. But they run out of the, the, the room naked and beat up. But we said in Jesus' name. See, what they didn't have was a context. They weren't abiding in Christ. They weren't understanding to be subjected to Jesus. They just thought this is like a magic formula. So, where am I here? Where's my notes? What happened to my notes? Okay, give me a second. I think my notes printed out wrong. This is one of those moments where we just say, hey, that's okay, Kelly. No big deal. You have a phone, and you're going to look it up on your phone. And have all this technology available to me. Use the force. All right. You're not hearing a word I'm saying, Gilbert. So let's ask ourselves the question then. If we know that in the name of Jesus is not an incantation, it's not a magic spell, it's not a silver bullet, what is in the name of Jesus for us who are Christians? I mean, if this is something that we've been doing for centuries, we've been praying in the name of Jesus, and it's a good tradition, why, why should we pray in the name of Jesus, and what does that actually mean for us when we pray? In the name of Jesus. And I'm going to give us a couple things here. Number one, uh, we, we've already said saying in the, name of, in the name of Jesus is not an incantation. But we've also understand that it's not a mantra. Uh, I was just watched yesterday with my kids Rogue One. If you've seen this movie, it's, it's like a good Star Wars. But there's this monk, this priest, right? And he's like, and it, oh, he just will repeat this mantra over and over. I'm one with the force of forces with me. I'm one with the force of forces with me. And, and it makes him somehow the ability to dodge lasers and, you know, he's blind and he can do all this kind of stuff. But it's not a mantra. It's not, a, it's not an incantation. What is saying in the name of Jesus? Let me explain it this way. I think this is a helpful illustration. If I was a police officer, I carry a badge, right? With this badge comes authority. With this badge, this badge means something. This badge gives me the ability to be able to enforce the law. But with this badge also comes limitations. This badge does not give me a blank check 
to be able to say, in the name of the law, I command you to empty your bank account and give it all to me. In the name of the law, I, ca- I, you, I like your car, and that's my car now. In the name of the law, your wife is my wife, and your life is mine. No, that is a misrepresentation of the authority that rests in that badge, right? But at the same time, I can hold this badge up, and a semi-truck can be hauling at me, and all I have to, let's say I'm, the, I'm this four-foot little woman police officer, and, and you would think, okay, anybody could take her out, right? But the moment she holds up this badge, the truck slows down. The truck stops because there's authority and there's weight and there's truth behind this badge. And for those of us who call ourselves Christian and we say we pray in the name of Jesus, it's the same way with this badge. Yes, it carries the authority of Christ. Yes, it, it, the weight of all of who Jesus is is in this authority, is in this badge. But it's not a license to go willy-nilly declaring the name of Jesus over everything and anything that we or our hearts desire. What it does is it says the legitimate areas that this covers is where it covers. And where it doesn't, it doesn't. And so when we pray things like in the name of Jesus, I, name, I claim that house. In the name of Jesus, I claim this, this relationship to be mine because I really want a boyfriend. I really want a girlfriend. In the name of Jesus, I, 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 I say my 401k, that, that bank account's going to be filled, right? We get really high in the way we say it. And all this kind of religious lingo junk that comes out of our mouth means absolutely nothing. All it's doing is hot air into the air. But when we say in the name of Jesus, Lord, let my life be a life that's pleasing to you, right? Right now I'm, I'm struggling, Lord. I, I feel like I'm on this tightrope or there's a, there's a fork in the road and my flesh desires kind of want to go this way. But I, I know that, Lord, you're calling me to walk this way. I just, I invoke the name of Jesus over my life. In the name of Jesus, I surrender my will. That's a prayer (laughs) that the Lord will say yes to. That's a prayer that Jesus goes, my son, my daughter, absolutely. In the name of Jesus means that we're praying his will, his ways. Here's, Here's some questions to ask if you're taking notes. Will this advance his kingdom? Will this advance my kingdom or will this advance the kingdom of God? And that might limit some of our prayers. I know it limits some of mine. And I'm not trying to be heavy here and say, oh, if we, we pray for blessing, no, that's okay. Lord, I, will you bless me? Lord, will you bless me? But will you bless me to be a blessing? We take the truth of Genesis 12 where God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And there's no period there. There's a continuation. To be a blessing. God, will you bless me? Will you fill my bank account so that I can bless others? That's a beautiful prayer. Will this bring, will this advance his kingdom? Will this bring him glory? 
Remember, we read that earlier in John chapter 14. And in the context, it says, whatever brings glory to the Father, whatever brings glory, God, will this glorify God? Lord, I, I want to pray prayers that glorify you, that, that where your name becomes known and great, not my name and not my will. And then this is kind of a play on words, but remember the WWJD, I think we should also pray, what would Jesus ask when he prays? He always prays, Father, be glorified. Always. What else does Jesus pray? And this is the beauty of our gospel. Father, not my will. Yours be done. Lord, I'm asking this, but nevertheless, I know I'm about to go to the cross, and I really, I don't want to endure this. But I'm laying down my will and my ways. I'm saying, not my will. Your will be done. What would Jesus ask? <laughs> I think this needs to transform our prayer. I think this needs to transform our understanding. Now, I want to end with this. The, the guy who wrote the book of John writes a second letter called 1 John. And this is the same John who spent time with Jesus, same John who saw, who heard Jesus speaking about prayer, had to wrestle with all of these things in his heart, had to, had to write down the words, abide if you abide in me. And at the end of his, his years, he's, he's getting on and he says this in his, in his letter, he says this in John 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I, I, I want to just, just speak a word of blessing over us in prayer. There's a confidence that you and I have and can be had that God hears our prayers. When we abide in Jesus, when we surrender our will and our ways to God, we have a confidence that he hears us. We don't have to shout really loud to get God's attention. We don't have to say all the, all the really like cool, spiritual, doctrinal, theologically deep words we don't have to sound like a preacher or a pastor or somebody who's gone to seminary, theological school. We don't have to do any of that stuff. See, the beautiful thing is that we have confidence that God hears us when our heart is surrendered, when we pray to glorify him. And let me read the last verse of this, which is verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So just in case you were thinking somehow, Kelly, you're just throwing out this nebulous in the name of Jesus, you have to have all the right pegs in place, and then maybe somehow God will listen to your prayer. No, the, John says here, he says, when we abide, when we surrender, when, we, when we're praying according to his will, that not only do we have confidence that he hears these prayers, we have confidence what? That he will answer us. Now, here's the application for us this morning. What are you praying? What are you praying? 
Are we praying selfish prayers? Are we asking selfish things? Have we taken this verse out of context? Have we become discouraged maybe somehow in thinking, Jesus, you said if I ask anything in your name, you'll do it, whatever I ask, and it's not happening. I've been a good person. It's not happening. See, we've got it wrong. What we have to understand is Jesus is faithful every time to answer. Maybe our asking is wrong. Maybe we've got it the wrong way around where we're seeking our will, our glory, our ways instead of his. And I know what you're saying right now. The temptation or the fear is if I ask just the things that God wants, will I be blessed? Will, will, will my life matter? Will I find meaning? And friends, I want to tell you, the more that we pray according to the will of God for our lives, the more we find fulfillment, the more we find satisfaction, the more we find joy. When we surrender to his will and his ways, and he promises, I'll hear you and I'll answer you. Will you stand with me?